only on average 10% of our athlete community gets access to endorsement deals. And that is because they are more well-known. They have an agency or an agent behind them. They perform better at the games. And so that, you know, brands are, you know, they have a higher social following, but the access wasn't democratized very well. Um, and so we wanted to try and see if we could impact more athletes receiving more opportunities. That was happening. And that was a very big intent behind this platform. You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Loams. Great to have you join us again this week. On today's show, we have Zaylin Jo Muhammad, Senior Vice President, Partnership Development and Innovation at the US Olympic and Paralympic Properties. Zaylin is a passionate leader with a wealth of holistic experience on the brand, agency and property sides of the sports marketing business. As the US OPP's Head of Partnership Development and Innovation, Zaylin works at the intersection of sales and partner management and activation using market data to help evolve and innovate business strategy and opportunities for existing and future Team USA and LA28 partners. She also works closely with the US Olympic and Paralympic Committee to bring future forward solutions to Team USA, athletes, and the movement as a whole. Most recently, Zaling launched the Athlete Marketing Platform, a digital marketplace that houses athlete group marketing rights as well as directly connects athletes to brands for individual endorsement opportunities. Prior to the USOPP, Zaling guided brands like Intel, Google, and Visa in sponsorship and experiential marketing opportunities as Senior Vice President of Client Consulting and Services at GMR Marketing. She also served as Head of Olympic Management at Visa, where she was responsible for delivering Visa's premier sports sponsorship on a global scale. Zaylene began her career as an account executive at Major League Soccer. So quite the breadth and the depth of experience across sports and sports marketing. So great to have her joining us uh, on the show to talk about all of those efforts with the US Olympic and Paralympic properties, not least among them the lead up to the Los Angeles 2028 Olympic Games. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then be sure to sign up to our newsletter, sportstechworldseries.com forward slash newsletter. You will get updates on new episodes as they come out of Sports Tech Feed and also a really easy to digest weekly update every Thursday, just what's happening in the world of sports tech that you need to know uh, and really will help you get that competitive advantage uh, in your role, whatever that may be. If you're unfamiliar with Sports Tech World Series, uh, we're the world's largest global sports technology community and a lot of our work and a lot of my day-to-day work is helping investors, sports tech vendors, and also sports properties, including leagues, federations, and national sporting organizations uh, with consulting, advisory, and research work. So understanding what is the future of sports tech, uh, how does their business or organization fit into that, and then how can they take advantage of all these innovations that are coming through on basically a daily basis to grow their bottom line and grow their fan base and, and really help their sport win both on and off the field. If you'd like to learn more about that, then feel free to reach out, Thomas Loams on LinkedIn, or you can also find our details on the website, sportstechworldseries.com. That's all from me for now. Over to Zaylene. Zaylene Jar Mohammed, SVP, Partnership Development and Innovation, commercial for LA28. Welcome to Sports Tech Feed. Great to have you on the show. Awesome, Thomas. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have this chat. So what role does innovation, it's obviously in your job title, what role does innovation play in preparation delivery of the games? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, let's start with just a broad strokes definition of innovation for me. Um, I think when a lot of people think about the word innovation, they automatically jump to tech. Mm. It's a natural place to go. Um, And I'm not saying that we don't think about that. We do. I think about it all the time, every day, almost every hour of every day. 
But I, I think the organization thinks about innovation in so many different ways. Innovation doesn't have to be from a tech perspective or a tech perspective only. We think about innovation as it relates to one of our core values, which is all around diversity. And, and when I say diversity, I mean it in representation, but I also mean it in diversity of thought um, and diversity in thinking of how we do things differently, right? I think that's a really big focus for us. Um, I think we have in LA 28 or in, in Los Angeles, um, some history around the games, which is really powerful. That city um, embodies kind of the Olympic and Paralympic spirit. They've hosted the games a couple times already. They've done a magnificent job in doing that. But, you know, in 2028, it'll be tens of years since the last games was hosted and the world has changed and that city has changed. And so we think about everything from, you know, how to be, how to deliver more access to people of LA and, and how did they get to the games or view the games in ways that maybe they weren't able to do that, do before. We think about our athletes and what impact they will have as they lead up to those games, you know, from now through 28 and then at, at, at in 2028, when athletes of the world arrive, what does that experience look like? We look at it from a fan engagement perspective. We look at it from a community perspective. And so in, in all of those places, technology plays a part, but not the only part, right? It's, it's, it's about kind of thinking about um, access and engagement in just a different way completely. Yeah. Yeah, the way I think of it is innovation is just finding a better way to do something. And whether that's a, a process, whether that's a, a method, a product, or what, whatever that is, um, then that's how, how to do it. And we had uh, from the Cleveland Cavaliers, there are the internal innovation team, and they talk about building a better mousetrap is, is from some of the literature, which I'm sure you'll be familiar with. And if you want to learn more about it, you can go back and listen to that episode. Um, but it's always just incremental improvements a lot across lots of different areas. Um, yeah, you got, you got it. Um, I, I think, you know, I spend a lot of time in front of a whiteboard, just kind of thinking through what are gaps that we face today? Where might there be opportunities to your point of like incrementally doing something better? And mm. a lot of times, like, you know, this is how tech works, right? In the startup world, you, you find a small gap of something that can be done a little bit better and then the 2.0 and 4.0 and 5.0 version kind of expand on that gap and make it more efficient or more effective or more powerful, whatever that is. Um, but usually the first, the 1.0 version or the 0.5.0 version is just kind of capitalizing or leveraging on a small gap that has been found to better improve like a process, make a little bit more money, make things a little bit more efficient, right? And that's, that's what we're trying to do across the entire ecosystem. Well, what are some of the examples of, uh, I guess, initiatives that you've launched across um, with the, obviously with the USOPC, um, what are some examples? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a couple that feel really basic and then I'll talk about one that um, I think will hopefully have a lot of impact. Um, the basic ones are, are about um, efficiency and communication and collaboration and productivity. I think, um, you know, when a games comes to a host market, you know, you have the NOC, so the National Olympic Committee, which in, in, in which is what you just pointed out, which is the US Olympic and Paralympic Committee. Then you have the organizing committee, which is LA 28. And then you have this middle entity, which is responsible for the commercialization of all of the efforts across both of those properties. 
And so you all of a sudden go from one property to three, mm. plus all of the athletes and the national governing bodies that are responsible for the Olympic movement in a country. And, and you can imagine if that's not structured properly, how convoluted those processes can become. And so, you know, really simple things of like how we use um, intercompany communication tools like, like Slack or other things, how we, how we use video conferencing, um, what are the dashboards and tools that from a process and flow management, workflow management um, that we use internally. Those are all, I think, things that um, we have to do now because of the fact that there's three entities, but we also, we want to do because it just, it makes our work better and makes us more efficient. And so those are some of the things that we've already used. I think um, the IT teams across all of those entities continue to work on ways that improve our collaboration and productivity. Um, for those of you who are not aware, right, LA28 itself, you know, right now we're at about a hundred people. We are like the craziest startup that you will ever encounter, right? We're at a hundred. We will scale to 5,700 by the time 2028 comes along. We will launch a product, which will be the games, and then we go away. And so it's, it's a really crazy product life cycle. If you think about it from a traditional startup perspective um, in, the, in the ways that you need to scale and how you use technology to help you do that. And then the fact that you actually have to offboard 5,000 people plus um, and, and kind of manage all of that information transfer back to the USOPC or to the IOC or to the athletes or whoever that information needs to go to. So you can just imagine kind of the tech processes and the tech stack that needs to be built to allow for that. Um, and then what happens kind of at the end of that journey. Um, so lots of work happening right now and we're working right now to figure out what that tech stack looks like. There's a ton of conversations in the marketplace right now because you can imagine you know, your traditional technology companies, um, I don't want to use the word salivate, but they're, they, they're interested. Like this is a really interesting use case to be a part yeah. of, um, to help start to scale and build and, and be a part of the games. Um, the, the one place, which is a really great use case to talk about, you know, what we've done today is um, this thing that we've called the athlete marketing platform or AMP. We introduced AMP in November to the wider community. There was a, there was a lot of, um, Press about it, and we actually just launched the technology itself last week. But basically, what it is is um, a digital marketplace, a closed loop digital marketplace that connects athletes to brands. And think about any digital marketplace that you use today. Think about Uber, right? Think about the app you use on your phone when you're con connecting supply and demand. So supply is driver, uh, supply is drivers, demand is riders, and you're connecting this in like a closed loop system. This is essentially the exact same thing. You're connecting supply of athletes who, frankly, many of whom do not earn a lot of money. 60% of our athletes earn less than $25,000 a year. Um, and they just don't have access to endorsement opportunities like the top 10% do. And you have demand from brands who are looking for athletes to help tell stories, to help engage consumers, um, and to help drive awareness of their products and services, right? They just, there was only a few ways for those brands to find those athletes, either through a search, you know, an, an internet search um, or because they knew a couple of agents or because they knew athletes. And so we, what we're trying to do is put these two kind of constituent groups together in a very direct way, using technology to help them 
stay connected and to facilitate all of the pain points that drive people crazy, like contracts, like payments, like chat features. Um, and so now, right, what this technology allows brands to do is it allows a brand to go into this platform to search for an athlete based on location. So if I need a, an athlete in San Francisco on a particular day or within a particular week that likes vegetarian food, I can search for that now and mm. you'll get kind of a filtered list of athletes and you can see, okay, here's what their social following looks like. Here's a really compelling story about them. You can chat with them using this platform. The athletes have it on their mobile devices so they can actually do this in a way that actually makes sense for them versus trying to find a place in their training schedules to, um, um, to be online. Um, and you can do a deal really, yeah. really quickly. And so it allows brands kind of turnkey access to athletes. It allows for activation at scale. Um, and it allows for athletes to make a little bit more money, which is basically the intent from the very beginning. Um, and so, you know, we have, um, you know, we have built this technology with a, with a, you know, a vendor and a partner um, who knows this space really well. We have, um, to your point, like there was technology that exists in the marketplace today that already does this. And incrementally, we tried to change it so that it better suited our athletes and our ecosystem. Um, and I have a feeling, Thomas, that, you know, we're piloting it now. In a year, if you and I talked, it's going to look completely different than mm. what it is today because we're going to learn from this pilot, right? We're going to yeah. know what need, what just didn't work very well, what broke, um, and we'll try to fish, fix it and make it more efficient. But it's it's these are the types of things that we want to do um, that allow for an evolution of the Olympic and Paralympic ecosystem. And if we can do it for the city of Los Angeles, for the Olympic movement as a whole, for the world. Great. That's that's the that's the goal. That's the endeavor. And so, who's the platform open to on both sides of the, the as you said, a two-sided marketplace? So, yep. is it all U.S. Olympic and Paralympic athletes can jump on the platform? And then, in terms of brands, um, is there a special vetting process, or is it fairly open? Obviously, if they fit within the values of the Olympic, you know, movement, but is yep. it fairly open for brands coming in the other side? Yeah. So on the brand side, it's open to any any brand that's a Team USA sponsor. So that includes that includes domestic sponsors that have just the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic rights, and also includes the top sponsors that are IOC sponsors that also have domestic rights. So anybody who's a partner gets access to the system. And then on the athlete side, it's open to right now sixteen hundred athletes, and these are athletes who. Um, have either been at a games before or are considered Olympic and Paralympic hopeful. So they have podiumed at world championships and so on and so forth. Um, and that is for that, that 1600 is for right now. I think in a month or two, if we feel like the technology is working and we've kind of worked out all the bugs, that 1600 will increase. We're like, now that the technology is there, there is no limit to how many people you can actually put in the system. Yeah. And so the thought is to actually allow for all people that kind of, that are considered under the Team USA umbrella, which includes probably another 1500 athletes on top of that to be invited into the system. And then, you know, the product roadmap actually has us including Olympic and Paralympic legends and alumni, right? So people who are no longer competing, mm -hmm. but frankly, brands want access to as well and have them on the platform as well. So, you know, I think in the pilot phase, we're just, you know, we're confident, but also holding our breath here to make sure everything is is 
working and not buggy. Um, but the, the thought is to open it up. I, I think even on the commercial side, on the brand side, you know, my hope is that this opens up to NGB sponsors, um, you know, further down the road, um, or that it's leveraged by other national Olympic and Paralympic committees. Like this is technology that I think can serve globally um, once we kind of figure out, you know, the, the best um, and most efficient way for it to work here. Yeah. And who are you using as your tech partner for that? Yeah, th this is a company called Open Doors. Um, and so Open Doors um, has a great tech platform already that connects brands to athletes. They have an open system. So ours is a closed loop system, right? Only our sponsors and our athletes are on it. But they have an open system where any athlete can connect with any brand who has access to it to, um, to do deals, mainly around social. Yeah. Um, our features on top of that, so number one, it's closed. Number two, it includes other use cases outside of social. So our athletes do a lot of appearances. They do a lot of production shoots. They do things that are in addition to social media um, endorsements. And so we've allowed, we've built the technology on top of that to allow for that. Um, and then we've also added the functionality for our brands to have access to group marketing. So think of, um, Think of any professional sports league in the U.S. that has this concept of GLA or group licensing rights, where a brand can um, put together three, four, five athletes in a creative campaign and be able to use that, use those athletes and their IP and represent the team, right? So in our case, it would be a rule of three. So three athletes coming together from three different NGBs representing Team USA, um, and the function, the tech functionality is going to be built into the, into the platform so that you can pick those athletes in the, in the technology, route your creative, and then go off into the market, you know, much in a much more turnkey fashion than you would, you would be able to do otherwise. So those, those are incremental features that we've put into our tech platform on top of what Open Doors already offers in the outside mm -hmm. market. Yeah. And I imagine from Open Door side, obviously they're quite active in uh, preparing for name image likeness changes. Um, and obviously California is a kind of leader in the, I say, obviously for people that don't know, and maybe internationally, just, just taking a slight detail and name image likeness is basically for college athletes within the U S being able to earn money from their name, image and likeness that can be appearing at say, uh, like a sports camp or appearing at, I don't know, a shopping center, um, up to using your image in a video game. So currently that's not allowed. Uh, it's changing the NCAA said it's going to change. And then um, the California governor last year signed into law. Um, something that comes into effect in a few years. So it's still kind of down the track, but basically requiring um, athletes to be able to make money from their name, image and likeness. So there's a lot of people in the space that are getting ready for it to change. Um, it's not quite there yet, but so it's interesting to see that maybe some of the parallels between this, that you would have your superstars um, that will have no issue getting endorsements, no issue getting, if anything, they're picking and choosing, um, and especially if they have big agencies kind of working behind them. But you're in the beach volleyball team or you're in, I don't know, the winter sport, like the toboggan. Is it a toboggan? No, the skeleton, sorry. Toboggan is what little kids yes. do. Skeleton is yep. more dangerous. Um, yes. But, you know, in, insert sport there. Um, you might have a fantastic following in your community and in your sport, but you don't have that kind of reach or, or even connection. So I think it's a, it's a great initiative to, um, 
yeah, really broaden that out across the entire team because it's a yeah. big team. It's a, I mean, when you think about the Olympic movement and why it's so unique is the amount of sports that are played, the amount of different walks of life, different backgrounds, different everything that come together for it is, is very impressive. Yep. I think, um, I think two things were were or are happening. And this is what we were looking at as we came up with a concept for AMP, right? The one is currently happening, which is, you know, only on average 10% of our athlete community gets access to endorsement deals. And that is because they are more well-known. They have an agency or an agent behind them. Um, they perform better at the games. And so that, you know, brands are, you know, they have a higher social following, but the access wasn't democratized very well. Um, and so we wanted to try and see if we could impact more athletes receiving more opportunities that was happening. And that was a very big intent behind this platform. The other was what we saw the potential of happening in the future, which is NIL, which is what you're talking about, right, Thomas, which, you know, theoretically, either if this goes state by state or if the NC2A does a broad scale change, um, we will move from, and I'm, you know, these are on average numbers, right? We will move in the US from having around 10,000 athletes, all inclusive Olympic professional sports, 10,000 athletes available for endorsement opportunities to half a million, mm. right? If you take out all the college, college athletes that are out there. And so when we saw that, when we were looking kind of in our, in our glass ball, looking forward, we were like, man, if that's gonna happen, how do we make it easier for the Olympic and Paralympic athletes to get access to those deals? Because if all of a sudden, if supply is going to quadruple or exponentially increase, right? You want to make sure that your athletes are going to have at least a spot at the front of the line, if possible, mm -hmm. to get access to those deals. And so I would say that both of those considerations were sitting in our head, like what is happening today that we need to try and help and what could happen tomorrow so that and how do we protect our athletes in that evolution, which is the right evolution, by the way. But how do we make sure that our athletes are um, are receiving um, opportunities in that use case and in that scenario? And obviously, the collegiate system is a huge talent incubator for Olympic sports is the other thing to point out. So it's not I mean, with the exception of something like basketball, obviously, you have the NBA, you have, you know, everything has their world championships, has their highest level of competition. Um, and the Olympics sits above uh, all of that. But for most of these sports, it is coming and playing and performing at college, which is where they will go from there into the Olympic team. Um, so which is different to a lot of other, other countries. I mean, Australia as well, that's not really, um, there's a university level competition, but it's, it's a bit more of a party than it is a performance. Um, having represented my university at several different sports, um, including lawn bowls, which, you know, um, so that's that's the kind of, and water polo, it's just all over the shop. But yeah. um, but if, you, if you're moving into it, you're, you're looking at that as genuine talent incubation, but also incubation for their brand because that's one of the most pivotal kind of key areas for pivotal moments for building that personal brand um, and to be able to transition that then into the Olympic movement um, makes a lot of sense. Yep, I agree. I think for in the United States, for sure, the NCAA and college athletics is um, our, our biggest training ground for people who then come into Team USA, especially on the Olympic side. I think on the Paralympic side, um, 
you know, the, the incubation and the training and feeder systems are a little bit different. Um, and we, you know, we talk about that all the time and, you know, not to completely digress, but, you know, what has happened in the U.S. this last year with COVID um, and the cancellation of, of seasons from the college athletic perspective, like we think about that, that is important mm-hmm. to us because we yeah. know that when they lose a season in, in, in college athletics, that impacts what, the, what Team USA could look like in four years or eight years in LA. And so, you know, those are the types of things that we are monitoring quite a bit, both from a on-field performance perspective. And then for sure, from a, you know, how are these athletes able to take care of themselves? What does their financial stability look like? How do we make sure that they can focus on their training and not have to focus on all of the other things of like, you know, how am I going to make money? When's my, where's my next meal coming from? How do I support my family? So it, it takes kind of the entire perspective to make sure that you're you're taking care of the team today and also preparing for what the team might face in the future well following on from that so what are we eight seven years away from la 28 how do you future proof for that how do you with technology developing so rapidly i know we said that it's not it's not it's it's innovation first and then tech is a solution that underpins that but even so i mean if we rewind the clock seven years ago um where we are today not many people have predicted that and that is probably true of anyone working in technologies predictions aren't that great um but how do you how do you try to at least get as close to the bullseye in terms of what's happening with tech over the next seven years yeah it's 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 such an interesting question um, and one that we grapple with every day and i'm going to give you two answers the first is we have a lot of conversations. We do a lot of like listening and learning to try and get smarter on where we think um, certain categories or certain technology is going to go. Um, we do that in our own analysis. Like that's part of my job is to do a lot of reading and a lot of learning to, to make sure I understand like what is the what is the trend in in AI or you know how does um, how does enterprise security going to change from now you know, through to 2028. Um, And so some of that is, you know, internal reading and analysis, working with people within the team. A lot of it is external conversations with um, technology companies themselves, with the VC community, um, Mm. with different types of analysts. Um, um, You know, one of our partners is Deloitte. You know, they give us a lot of tech consulting as well of like, you know, what does their expertise tell us about what's going to happen in the future? Um, so a lot of conversations and a lot of learning that we try to just stay on top of. That's answer number one. Answer number two, Thomas, is a little bit more ambiguous, which is I have a bet with my boss that, <laughs> that the way we do sponsorships today from a very traditional category exclusivity perspective is going to change because A, we don't know what technology is going to exist in eight years. And B, so many of the technology companies that we know about today already overlap in the products and services that they offer. And so it's going to be really hard to say, you get ERP, you get cybersecurity, you get search and you get collaboration. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that whole thing is going to blow up, could be wrong, but that's my hypothesis is that it's going to completely blow up. And, And so... You know, with that in my head, I think the way that we try to solve for that today is rather than think about the specific product that we might need, we try to think about the use case. 
And so I, I kind of have an idea of like, what are the use cases that we need to solve in LA or leading up to LA? We need to solve a frictionless experience use case. We need to solve a cybersecurity use case. We need to solve an ingress egress use case. Like there are use cases that I, we need to solve a crowd control use case. Like there are definitely use cases that I know are going to be problems that need to be solved, you know, five years from now, seven years from now at the games, whatever, whatever it is. And I want partners with me that are proficient or experts in solving that particular use case um, and have a vision for what that use case might look like in the future. Mm. What the product is, that might change. We may use something completely different to solve for that in the future. That's okay. I just, I just want the partner that's best in class to be able to help me figure out what that solution might be in, in seven years. We, um, we signed a deal last year with Delta um, and they became our first founding partner. And Thomas, like you think of Delta and you think of planes and how you travel today. The conversations we had with Delta um, as we were in, the, in those negotiations were around what you think about, but also like flying cars, mm. right? Like it, it's not even just traditional tech companies that we're thinking about. It's every single company that we talk to is, has a, has an innovation element that they're saying, okay, in seven years, we think that people will not only get around by plane or by Uber or by bicycle, there's gonna be a flying car component. And so how do we think about that? What is LA gonna look like? How do we build that into our contract? And what potentially could be the use case? You know, is it VIP hospitality? Is it a venue that maybe isn't as close? What are the use cases by which, you know, this type of technology will be necessary? I will say that all of the conversations are super interesting. Um, you know, I come home, my husband's in the tech field and I come home and I'm like, oh my God, like what is going to happen in like seven Honey, years? we're getting flying cars. It's yeah, when are we buying our flying car? Yeah. Um, it's, it's really crazy, but also really awesome at the, at the potential of like what these games could be like in seven or eight years. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think for me, I'm, I'm, I'm less on the flying car side. I think that's 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 honestly the example I use when people are like, what's the future going to look like? Flying cars. We've been saying that since the Jetsons, like, you know, since the 60s. It's, mm-hmm. it, I think it's it probably is going to be there, but it might be, you know, a VIP thing. I don't think I'm going to be the one that's getting around that. But thinking about uh, autonomous vehicles. So autonomous vehicles that go there and then you want to pay for parking, so you send your autonomous vehicle home. Are we going to have traffic jams both ways? You know, peak hour constantly, like all yep. of those things. Like it's you know, more ride sharing stuff. Like what's what's going to change? And again, there's there's as you said, there's tech elements to it, but there's also just cultural, societal changes that will happen as well. And I think um, coronavirus, COVID last year is a prime example of that about what people are willing to to adapt to and change to change with uh, rather. And, and certainly something like that, that just accelerates and changes things so quickly, like who knows what's going to happen between now and, and seven years. But as you said, it's, it's just who can help us with this, who can, who can make those changes. So, um, I mean, I guess following on from that, what's the legacy the games are going to leave to the city and, I guess, sports innovation, sports technology community there? Because obviously they're a fantastic use case for technology, innovation, all that kind of stuff, especially if you just think of a stadium as just a this amazing little test bed for all the kind of cutting edge things that happen. 
um, and the interactions of people and all that kind of stuff. What's it going to look like uh, or what do you hope it looks like once you scale back down from the 5,700 uh, back down to zero? Yeah. Um, you know, we talk a lot about this internally within the organizing committee and it, and it starts with our chairperson. Casey Wasserman tells us this all the time. He says, um, you know, if we just deliver a great games from an operational perspective, we will have failed. And, and what he means by that is, you know, first of all, we are, we, we have seven or eight years when we first started to actually put these games on. And that's more than any other organizing committee has had um, because the IOC awarded the two games at once. And so we have more time and we're, we're doing these games in a city that is probably one of the best cities in the world from a sports and entertainment perspective in terms of venues, right? You have amazing, great venues that have been recently built or will be built by the time 28 happens. And so a lot of the emphasis from other organizing committees is on venue um, infrastructure and the build. And, and we don't have to do a lot of that. Yeah. And so, you know, we think about a lot then if we don't, if, if, if that is table stakes for us, what are we doing on top of that to actually um, show innovation and, and leave a legacy for the games, for the city of LA, for our athletes um, and for the fans who actually engage. Um, and I think, you know, we're thinking about that in a, in a couple of different ways. I think, um, you know, with our partners, um, legacy to us means facing and dealing with and implementing solutions for issues that exist in this country that need a little bit of push and maybe need the power of the Olympics and Paralympics behind it to actually get some things done. And so when I talk about these purpose-driven platforms, I'm talking about things like climate change and I'm talking about disability inclusivity and I'm talking about gender equality and I'm talking about our education system and I'm talking about arts and culture. So, you know, there are, there are some things that we are working on and you, you sport for that matter, right? Like mm -hmm. how do we get more oh, kids yeah. to play? Um, so th there are, call it, you know, 10 to 12 things, themes that we look at um, and, and we're, we're, we look at our partners with and say, okay, you know, which of these are really important to you as well? And how do we actually um, move the needle in creating some impact? And that could be in LA, it could be in the country and, or it could be in the world, right? Yeah. With, Delta, we, with Delta, we really focused on um, their aspect of volunteerism. We know we need a big volunteer um, contingent for LA, but how does volunteerism exist in every part of your daily life, not just when you know the games happen and what is the impact to your communities as you do that? So that was um, an initiative that we're really working on with Delta. With Comcast, we're, all, we're thinking about disability inclusivity, knowing that you know 30% of Americans live with some sort of disability but when you look at media and advertising, you don't actually see that representation, that, that representation doesn't exist. Mm. So how do we actually move the needle from that perspective? Um, so there's a lot of things from a, um, from a platform perspective that we're hoping to do in order to leave a legacy. We call these like, what are the flags we wanna plant such that when we leave, those things are still going. And that doesn't mean Thomas, that we do them in 28. That means we do them now. Mm. And we're thinking about climate change now. We're building wind farms now so that they help us through the games, but they also exist when we, when we all go. 
Um, the other thing that we think about is really specifically, what does the what does the experience look like for the fans that attend in LA or the fans that consume the games outside of LA? And what is what is the legacy on the industry, on the sports and entertainment industry by by which we do that? And so, you know, if that means that, um, you know, fans who are not in L.A. experience the games from a digital, virtual AR perspective like they've never done before, that's great for the games. It's great for the movement. It's also great for the industry if we can figure that piece out. That's a, a, a really big intent of ours is to make sure that fans from all over the world are experiencing the games exactly the same, if possible, as the fans mm -hmm. who are actually able to attend. Um, and similarly for, you know, the city of LA and the fans that go through the fans and the athletes that are going through that city, like how do we use LA um, and potentially evolve the infrastructure of that city such that, you know, not to use the word that's been overused, which is smart city, but such that, you know, LA becomes kind of an example city of what the future of cities actually look like, right? And that's where a lot of our tech partners are really interested because, LA, you know, has a, it has a diverse ecosystem, you know, kind of encompasses a whole different set of communities all in one city, but also has, you know, infrastructure things that they're dealing with and, th and, and a model by which we think we can actually make an impact. And if we can do it in LA, we're hoping that we can do it either in an other Olympic and Paralympic cities, but also in, in cities that don't, are not hosting anything, but just need a little bit of evolution on how the city functions. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's certainly something in LA. Just as a as a mega as a mega city, uh, I'm not sure what the actual technical term is, but you know, just just the scale, size, everything else. But that also means what's happening there, as you mentioned, the kind of the sports and the entertainment communities that they're working hand in hand and and producing some really cool stuff. So um, yeah, excited to see what happens over the next seven years and and see some outcomes from it. And as you said, hopefully, really put those flags in the ground for some of those broader um, cultural societal issues, um, which again is what the Olympics is about and trying to push, yep. that, push that side of it. So great. Well, thank you so much, um, Saline. Just before you go, final question for you. What is your favourite sporting moment of all time? Oh, this one's easy. So Thomas, I'm born and raised Canadian. So mine of all time is in 2010 in Vancouver, which is my home city when Sidney Crosby scored the game winning goal in overtime against the US. I, um, I was there at that game. I did a cartwheel and hugged my dad who was also at the game. Um, I was sitting with my colleagues at Visa, most of whom were American. So I got to do a lot of trash talking as well. Um, it was one, it is one that I will remember for the rest of my life. I have a picture of it outside in my office as well. It's I look at it every single day. Fantastic. All right. That's so good. That was, I think that's probably the fastest answer we've ever had to that question. So <laughs> it's right on it, you know. That, I knew it. It was easy for me. It's great. Undercover Canadian as well. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you so much, Aileen. I really enjoyed chatting to you. Uh, appreciate your time. And, and as I said, kind of looking forward to following over the next seven years and, and experiencing the games, hopefully in person as well. Um, get my flying car there. Um, and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just... Just make the most of um of what really promises to be a fantastic uh, Olympic event. Awesome, nice, nice talking to you, Thomas. Thank you for having me, and keep in touch. Like I'm sure we'll have updates along the way, so it'll be good to catch up. Mm -hmm.
There you have it. That is Alien Jam Muhammad, SVP, Partnership Development Innovation at the US Olympic and Paralympic Properties. Really unique role, as I said, kind of dealing with such a long timeline to delivering up to the games in 2028, scaling up and then scaling back down. So they're doing some really interesting stuff, uh, especially around that athlete marketing platform, the AMP. So interested to see how it works and develops uh, over the next few years. Uh, and hoping some of those innovations can be kind of taken forwards and, and get that institutional knowledge uh, feeding back into Team USA uh, over the next few years. Thanks again for joining us. I'm your host, Thomas Loams. Uh, we'll see you next time on Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast.